0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, The Price of Victory, with a message titled Appraising Ourselves. So turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 18, as we join Dr. Neufeld
1: now. And I've seen more than one study that shows that most people, or might as almost everyone has a difficulty in appraising or assessing or evaluating themselves accurately. You know, people tend toward extremes. Those with a poor self-esteem will often think of themselves as performing more poorly than they actually do. And then there are a host of others who esteem themselves much too highly. You do see that in people. You know, it's the attitude that says, you know, I won't let anyone tell me that I'm not the greatest musician the world has ever seen. I mean, that kind of a thing. You know, for a great many of us, the real challenge is to see ourselves realistically. In Romans 12, verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And that's the trick. If you want joy, if you want to find out what God has for you, if you want to discover fulfillment, I mean, a part of the task is to discover when God created you, to know how it is that he fashioned you. What strengths did he create you to exploit? What weaknesses do you have? I know a great many people are not excited about their gift mix. I mean, perhaps they wish they would have been a better leader, or they had better administrative skills, or you know, they were the kind of person who had such presence that they could command people to listen to them whenever they got up in front of people. I once listened to a very interesting interview with someone who made a living helping young people find the right career path. He started the interview by saying something I felt absolutely intriguing. He said, we all have been given the wrong advice. You know, the common advice is to ask someone, I mean, what's your passion or what's your dream or what's that thing that you love to do? And then find out what that is and choose that as a career. He said, that attitude has made some people unemployable and others constantly frustrated. Stop asking what's your dream. He said, when you've finished your workday, you can still chase your passion. The real question you should ask is, what am I actually good at? You need to accurately assess your strengths and weaknesses. Once you discover your strengths, there are numerous career choices that you can make that will guarantee success. He gave himself as an example. He said his passion was music, but he knew he didn't have the skill level to transform that into a career. But what he did find is that he had considerable strength in math and in organization. He became an accountant, and furthermore, he said he had won numerous awards, and he'd risen to the top of his profession. And he said, you know, after a while, I found I had passion for my work because I was so good at it. And he added, my passion for music, well, that also has remained undiminished. Well, today's message is not about choosing the right career path, but it is about one little line that Paul puts into the text we're about to study. It's found in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, where Paul writes, we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us. And that's a fascinating line. Paul had a very clear perspective of how God had made him and to what God had called him. He speaks about a sphere of influence God had assigned to him. And then he speaks about not playing beyond those boundaries. But to put it into contemporary terms, when he was operating in his own wheelhouse, he was operating extremely well, and he knew it. But as we will also see, his boasting was a very specific kind of boasting. He knew that it was God who had both equipped him and assigned his boundaries of operation. His boast was in what God had done. You know, but this discussion that we find in 2 Corinthians 10 did not begin out of nothing. I mean, Paul wasn't sitting down one day and reflecting about his ministry and, you know, deciding to write a philosophical piece about how it came to be that he was doing the very specific ministry that he was doing. That would have been interesting, but, but Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 10 in the heat of battle. He was fighting false teachers who were attempting to undermine his ministry and who were trying to become what Paul was. The false teachers wanted to be the apostles who had authority over the church in Corinth. Now, we've already pointed out that to a large degree, the false teachers in Corinth had already lost that battle. I mean, after all, the majority had already repented of their errors, and they were being reconciled to Paul. But that didn't mean that the false teachers were going to stop fighting. Indeed, given the turn of events in Corinth, they weren't going to stop. Indeed, as we've seen, as we've studied this passage, the false teachers had said, look, we know that when Paul writes his letters, he does seem like he has a great deal of authority. But, but on the other hand, they said, he shows no boldness when he's here in person. And then, without shame or any sense of propriety, they began to compare themselves to Paul. Now, before we read what Paul said, let's do a little historical research and find out about something that was very common in the ancient Greek-speaking world. See, in the ancient world, comparison was a common tool that public speakers used in order to whip up a following. The thinking went this way. There's only a limited amount of honor to go around, they said. And so if someone is honored for something, others will resent that because there's going to be less honor available for them now, you see. And so it's quite common for a public speaker who wanted to bring influence into people's lives to then smear others. Self-boasting was considered an act of honor, and ridiculing others was also expected. It was fair game to, to criticize a person's race, for instance. You know, Paul makes mention of how some people with bad morals would say, you know, people from the island of Crete are always drunkards and they're always lazy and they're up to no good. And so if another speaker was from Crete, it was fair game for others to make that the subject of what they said. But they'd also criticize a person's upbringing, their parents, their education, their bodily appearance, their associates, anything was fair game paint the other person as shamefully as you can, and in response, you'll be able to look quite good yourself. Now, there's every reason to think that this was the very technique that the false teachers in Corinth were using against Paul. And Paul has something quite hard-hitting and insightful to say in response. So let's start reading 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. And as you do, remember that Paul's speaking about those who are attempting to belittle him and then to elevate themselves. So Paul writes, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. See, this is the issue. Paul says they're comparing themselves with one another. That is to say, it's all one-upmanship. You know, one ancient professor in training his students how to speak publicly actually taught, make marvelous assertions about yourself, be extravagant in your self-praise, and make yourself a nuisance to the other person by saying, you know, what is he next to me? And Paul says, whenever you do that, you lack understanding. That's because Paul knows that in the end, we aren't going to give an account of ourselves by comparing ourselves to others, rather by God's standards. And Paul knows that it was God who called him into this service. And he also knew that in the end of the day, he'd give an account to God and not to men on how he had performed. See, the problem with the false teachers is that they didn't have any objective standards to evaluate their performance. They relied on comparison with others. And, And by the way, and here let me speak personally, this is often the case also for those who are in pastoral ministry. I mean, one pastor's a better preacher. The other's a better counselor. The other's better able to lead a movement that attracts people by the thousands. And there's a game today that seeks to compare one pastor to the other. And the temptation is for the local pastor, instead of understanding his calling, he rather compares himself with the performance of others who are being approved by men. You know, the callous disregard for the Lord's standards are apparent. But hear me now, it's not just pastors who fall into that pattern. We all do. Instead of identifying our own unique calling from God, while we spend our time either congratulating ourselves over our triumph of others or whipping ourselves for our failures. I mean, what a pity that we have not come to so value the Lord's approval or his disapproval of our lives and our ministry that the valuation of human beings simply doesn't matter to us anymore. And so Paul is warning the minority in Corinth not to fall into that trap that the false teachers have laid for them. They're saying, look, we're better speakers than Paul. So then why should you listen to him? And so without even thinking about it, their standard for valuation is the praise of men rather than the praise of God. And to that, Paul now moves on to the next issue. What he wants to say next sounds something like this. I really don't have an inferiority complex at all. 2 Corinthians 10, 13 to 15a. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others.
0: For anyone seeking to know God or to understand the Bible and how it can be applied to your daily life, Back to the Bible Canada provides trustworthy Bible teaching resources addressing relevant questions of life and faith. If you believe in the importance of sharing the Word of God across our nation, perhaps you'd consider offering a financial gift to support Back to the Bible Canada this month. Or consider even becoming a member of our 1119 Fellowship, our monthly giving program. Your regular gift ensures that the daily Bible teaching program you're hearing right now is heard in your community and across the country. Your gift of any amount allows the Word of God to reach those searching for truth. To send a one-time gift or to become an 1119 monthly partner, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: now it should be apparent that in the ancient Greek world, leaders and authorities, public speakers, others, you know, often made a habit of boasting in their own abilities and also in belittling their opponents. Paul as a Christian man simply rejects that attitude. That's not the mind of Christ. Now when we read Paul, we do hear a bit of sarcasm. He seems to say, you hey, know, I guess I am boasting even as you are. However there is one difference. He says he's not going to boast beyond limits. Now, at first glance, it sounds like he's saying, you know, I'm going to boast up to a point and then never go beyond that. But that's actually not what he's saying at all. Look at the next phrase. He says, I will only boast in regard to the area of influence that I have. But he's not even really saying that. Rather, he's saying that he will only boast in regard to the area of influence that God had assigned to him. So let's stop here and remember what Paul meant when he said that. In Galatians 2, 7 to 9, he says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul had a very clear perspective of what God had called him to do. That's not the only place where he stresses, quite particularly, the unique details of the ministry that God assigned to him. We find more of that in Romans 15, 17 to 20. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way round to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So here we see that not only does Paul again affirm that he has a unique ministry that brings the gospel to the Gentiles, but he also has a unique calling to take the gospel to those cities that have not had a witness of the gospel before. It's in exactly that context that he had come to the city of Corinth. I mean, I can't even imagine how difficult such an assignment must have been. For instance, in Philippi. There was not even a Jewish synagogue there, so he didn't even have a jumping-off spot. Same was true again when he arrived in Athens, and you're going to remember that city was filled with idols, and the multiplicity of their gods and goddesses filled the religious imaginations of the people in that city. So where do you even begin? See, I know some missionaries who go to a culture where the, where the gospel has never been heard. But in Paul's case in Athens, it was even tougher than that. The idea of monotheism was altogether foreign to them. I mean, what do you speak then? I mean, how do you begin a conversation? And so Paul decides that that there's a speaker's forum in that city. And very quickly, he gets an audience. Everyone's interested in new ideas. And boy, oh boy, does this guy have new ideas. But he begins by making mention of one statue that he saw. It was to an unknown God. You see, the Athenians were saying, they are gods we know nothing of. And there are religious ideas out there that we know nothing of. And Paul starts right there. And although this was a very difficult city to work in, he did win some converts. You know, I can't even begin to imagine the difficulty of his work. Often he was misunderstood and abused. But as we see in Second Corinthians, Paul is saying, look, I will boast about this specific sphere of authority that Christ has entrusted to me. I'm not apologizing for it nor am I ashamed to boldly proclaim it. Christ has called me to this, and I'm a skilled master builder. See, none of his opponents could say what he said. That's because they didn't start the church in Corinth. They didn't show up there when no one had ever heard the gospel before. They weren't being persecuted and thrown into prison. And so says Paul, you need to hear me out. I am ministering in exactly the area of influence that Jesus has assigned to me. And then go to verse 14. Paul says, we're not overextending ourselves. So what's he referring to there? Paul, you'll remember, had called the church in Corinth to repent. They had become divided. Some were saying, look, I follow Paul. Others, I follow Peter, still others. I follow Apollos, who is a great preacher, and still others. I don't like any teacher at all. I just follow Jesus. And then in the midst of the confusion, the false teachers had come, and they exploited the divisions to their own advantage. And then out of the confusion, Sexual immorality began to surface and and things really got out of hand. And so Paul had taken upon himself the role of returning the church to its foundations. You are to follow Jesus as mediated through his apostles of whom I am the apostle of the Gentiles. Now, when Paul had taken this authority, that's now in verse 14, he says, I was not overextending myself or to put it another way, I was not overreaching when I called you to submit to my leadership. I was acting precisely in the realm of authority that God had entrusted to me. Look at the last half of verse 14. We, he says, were the first to come to you with the gospel. We, he says, were functioning exactly as Jesus called us to function. Let me give you something that in my mind still strikes me, you know, it's humorous. It was Sunday morning, and it was shaping to be another example of a wonderful day of worship. You know, at the time we reserved for greeting each other in my church, we would normally you know, shake as many hands as possible and one man took hold of my hand and he wouldn't let go. And he said, you know, God has sent me here this morning and he's given me a word for this entire church. You know, I'm not usually that fast on my mental feet, But his words were hardly out of his mouth when I said, well, that sounds really strange because God has appointed me with a task of overseeing the worship in this church, and I'm not going to let you anywhere near the pulpit. See, I wanted him to see that whereas he thought he was operating out of his sphere of authority, I was operating out of the sphere of my authority. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. He says, when I'm taking on you false teachers, I'm acting in accordance to the sphere of authority that Jesus has given me. Now, I do think there's a point of application here. But before we get there, let's acknowledge that Paul has a unique role in the church, and you and I can't play that role. He's an apostle. You and I are not. And if you think you are an apostle, I can give you a truckload of evidence that will definitively prove that you most definitely are not. The point is not that we're like Paul, but I do think the point is that God has assigned every one of us a sphere of influence. I mean, you might be a Sunday school teacher who pours out the foundational principles of the faith to a group of 10-year-olds. For one year, that's your sphere of influence. Do it in obedience to the Lord, and don't you apologize for what God has assigned you to do. You're not to be compared to others, but rather according to the assignment Christ has given you, do it with all your being, so that those 10 year olds would grow to be men and women of God. Hence, says Paul, that's my boast. I operated according to God's calling. And according to the beginning of verse 15, his boast is not done at the expense of devaluating the ministry of others, as the false prophets have done. We come now to 2 Corinthians 10 15b to 18. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. That is Paul saying, I am praying we're gonna have greater success in Corinth so that from the resources of Corinth, we can launch out and reach more unreached people. And those of you who know Paul's mindset will remember that he had a dream that he might make the gospel known all the way to Spain. And so he's not holding back from his assignment, nor is he giving any room for the false teachers to criticize him. He wasn't given his assignment from them. Notice verse 17, he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, now on the one hand, I suppose Paul's saying to God be the glory. For what I've been able to accomplish. He's empowered me. He's made it possible so that in the end, I've accomplished all that has been accomplished. No glory to me, all glory to Christ. That's true. I think Paul's also saying something else here. He's emphasizing, let the one who boasts, boast only in doing that which Christ has called him to do, not that which he thinks he should be doing. The false teachers had not been called by Christ, for if they had, They wouldn't have been false teachers, but Paul had been called by Christ. Verse 18 says, it is in the end up to the commendation of the Lord himself, that's it. In the end of the day, Christ's opinion is the only one that matters. And so do what he called you to do. Stop comparing yourself to what others have called you to do. Live under the authority of Christ.
0: John, you know, I listen to you every day and think, man, I wish I could do that, but now I acknowledge that what you do demands so much of you—prayer, study, dedication—but I would consider your teaching a gift to the church. Are we all gifted in some way to serve the church, if not as a Bible teacher?
1: Well, wow, uh, first of all, Ben, I, you're very gracious, and, and I want to thank you for your very gracious words. Um, Uh, You know, God gives various gifts to various people. Each one of us are called to fully use the gifts that Christ has given us to do so as best as we can uh, and relying on the Holy Spirit for his power. Uh, And so let's be thankful for the varied gifts. If we all had the same gift, I think we'd be stumbling over each other and not getting along. So uh, let's all use our gifts fully to the glory of God.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, The Price of Victory, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. During the month of March, we'll be highlighting the international efforts of Back to the Bible Canada. Did you know that our radio program with Dr. John airs in India and neighboring countries such as Sri Lanka, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Burma, Vietnam, Eastern China, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iran? If ensuring that your brothers and sisters around the world have access to daily Bible teaching is important to you, you can help. Your gift toward Back to the Bible Canada's international ministries would help develop and encourage pastors in India and help reach thousands of people with trusted Bible teaching programs across much of Asia and the Middle East. To support our international ministries, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.